Listener Production. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing. It's the end of February already, and there's a bunch of stories that we would have loved to have covered this month, but like always, we didn't have time. So that's what we're doing in this episode, highlight three science stories from the last month that you need to know. Evram Yazgan, Cosmos Magazine journalist, you're here to step us through these stories. Where are we going first, Evram? Well, we could have gone to my birthday, which did occur in February, but we're oh. talking real science. Where we're actually going first is to Antarctica. Oh. And unfortunately, it's not an overly pleasant place to start the episode. Okay. <laughs> as we're talking about the melting of a glacier that some nickname the Doomsday Glacier. Oh dear. Doomsday Glacier. So a body of ice that's going to bring about the end of the world. Pretty much. I mean, we're not ruling that out yet, Sophie. Okay. It's called the Thwaites Glacier. It's located in the West Antarctic Ice Sheet. And new research from the British Antarctic Survey has revealed some pretty stark findings on the vulnerabilities of the glacier and what might happen when it collapses. Excellent. Basically, the way they looked at this was by drilling nearly 600 metres down into the ice and using semi-autonomous underwater vehicles to measure the oceanic properties around the glacier. Sure. And they came up with some projections from there. It showed that complete collapse of the Thwaites Glacier could increase global sea levels by 65 centimetres over a century or so. 65 centimetres? Evram, that sounds huge to me. Can you put that in perspective for us? What would an increase to that extent look like? So the researchers didn't map out exactly what 65 centimetre increases would look like, but we do have some metrics that we can compare this against. The lead author of this research told Cosmos that a one metre sea level rise in the year 2100 could potentially threaten more than 400 million people. Oh my God. Yeah. And you have like low-lying Pacific islands and large estuaries, uh, such as you would find in Bangladesh, where you would have many people who would be at the most risk. And even in Australia, for example, sea level rise would cause inundation of low-lying areas coastal erosion and storm surges affecting coastal communities and ecosystems, and it would put more than $200 billion of infrastructure at risk. And obviously, the glacier melting would be thanks to temperature increases. Mm -hmm. Cosmos also reported in February that if global warming is not restricted to 1.8 degrees, then the melting of the polar ice sheets alone we'll see sea levels rise around 1.4 metres by the year 2150, which, again, would be catastrophic. Yep. Um, now, one of the glaciologists involved in the research says much of the modelling has a relatively high uncertainty because so much ice is below sea level, but the recent developments in autonomous vehicles has greatly increased scientists' ability to see below the surface. And just to put it in perspective, we're talking about one glacier and the sea ice around the poles. There are so many other glaciers and sea ice that could also melt. I mean, we're talking about potentially meters of sea level rise when all of these things combine due to global warming. So it's definitely something that we need to keep on top of. 
a great and optimistic way to start the show. Thank you so much, Evram. <laughs> Happy welcome. February, everyone. <laughs> so now on to something interplanetary. It seems like Jupiter and Saturn, two of our fave planets in the Milky Way, obviously, they have a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, it's been a big month for Jupiter and Saturn. So starting with Jupiter, it's got a dozen new moons which have been discovered oh. uh, spinning around it. Mazel tov. <laughs> yeah, congrats. Um, but they've just been discovered. Uh, this brings its total to 92. Whoa. Yeah. That's a lot. 92 moons, nearly 100. Less than half of them are at least eight kilometers in diameter, which obviously is quite small. Mm-hmm. And it's thought that many of them formed after colliding with much bigger objects. Evram, I love how we can just discover 12 new moons all of a sudden. I know, right? And um, I mean, it does raise questions like Jupiter's largest moon is Ganymede, which is you know thousands of kilometers in diameter. Compare it to these other moons, which are only a few kilometers. I mean, it does raise questions about what exactly a moon is. Mm. But it does play into this moon race, unlike the moon race in the 1960s, between Jupiter and Saturn. Because uh, every couple of years, one of them will just leapfrog the other one in terms of number of moons. And so speaking of Saturn, some strange things that sometimes appear on Saturn's rings have returned. Oh, sounds fun. Let's unpack this. Strange things on Saturn's rings? Yeah, so they're sometimes called spokes. They're basically dark markings uh, in reflected light on the rings, sometimes oh. referred to as smudges as well. Cute. Like Earth, Saturn has four seasons, and the spokes disappear near summer or winter solstice. Okay. Now, new images from the Hubble Space Telescope show that the start of another spoke season uh, is just about to happen for the planet, and the next seasonal change will be in May 2025, which will be Saturn's autumnal equinox, and the spokes are believed to become increasingly prominent until then. Okay, so Evram, what causes them? We're not actually entirely sure, but the most likely reason has to do with Saturn's variable magnetic field. Mm -hmm. So it's thought that dusty ice particles in Saturn's rings may overcharge as they interact with the magnetic field. And then raising those particles above larger objects in the rings means that they appear as smudges or spokes. Okay, It's similar to the process which causes the aurora borealis and australis on Earth. So those uh, colorful lights that you see in the northern uh, hemisphere and and southern hemisphere. So the spokes are one thing, but another Saturn story is actually just a little bit further out from Saturn. Astronomers have discovered a new ring system altogether. Oh, okay. So what can you tell us about these new rings? It's a system around a dwarf planet called Kwawa, which is an excellent name. (laughs) Say that 12 (laughs) times fast. (laughs) They found not one, but two rings. But what's interesting about this is that the ring system orbits the planet much further than what is typical. It's about seven times the dwarf planet's radius. Oh. At this distance, the material should have formed moons, not rings. Just for comparison, Saturn's rings are within three of Saturn's radii. So this suggests that astronomers need to do some thinking about exactly how rings and moons form, because it seems like we haven't quite cracked it. Again, they don't know why Kwawa has rings so far out, but I think it's pretty cool. Finally, Evram, this story is about whales, and apparently whales are doing less singing and more fighting. Yeah, so recent research looked at humpback whales and found that within an 18-year period, 
males have moved away from singing to attract a mate to physically competing with other males. Oh, dear. Yeah, so from sweet romantic serenades to violence. This is a problem. (laughs) Yeah. The main reason for this is apparently due to increased competition and numbers of humpbacks. So back in the 1960s, there were only around 200 humpbacks left as we had very nearly hunted them to the point of extinction. Whoa. However, once whaling stopped, the numbers rebounded. And by 1997, when the study started, there were 3,700 whales. And by 2015, 27,000. All I'm taking from this is that conservation causes violence and we should stop right now. I know. As soon as we stop, they start. No, that's right. I mean, no. So this no. sounds amazing. I mean, bringing a species back from near extinction, but I guess more whales just means more competition. Yeah, absolutely. So if the competition is particularly tough, the last thing humpbacks want to do is advertise that there's another female mm. in the area by singing. Sure. Because, yeah, then another male would just swoop in and maybe outcompete them. So the males are shying away from singing to keep the female to themselves. And instead, if competition presents itself, they turn to violence. Um, and this includes ramming, charging, and trying to head slap other humpbacks, <laughs> which is brilliant imagery. And it obviously runs the risk of them getting injured. That's not to say that the males don't sing, but um, violence is now in their sights if they want to find that mate. And seems they're both lovers and fighters. And what a beautiful way to round out February. Thank you so much, Evren. No worries. Evren Yazgin is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Evram's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. And hey, if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can download the Listener app to listen for free or catch us wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.